Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm sorry that Augie can't be with us today. Who, who knows what he's off to? He's probably off playing baseball or something. Um, I have with me today Dr. Catherine Howell, Dr. Benjamin Teresa, and Donna Coghill, who is the Community Engagement Librarian for the library. And we are going to talk to you about the book Evicted and bro broadly about eviction. So we're going to ask a few questions, and I think Donna's going to start for us. Yes. Um, hi. Uh, glad to have you all here today, and I'm excited to be involved. So the common book this year is Evicted, and it follows the stories of several people as they are evicted or are very close to eviction. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with the term, what does eviction mean? There's a couple different meanings. So the first kind of definition, technical def uh, definition of eviction is kind of is the legal process that leads to someone being physically removed from um, their house or apartment wh where they rent. And so that that legal process differs state by state, but it has broad similarities where there's a notice uh, given from the landlord to the tenant when they're laid on rent and then a court proceeding to eventually uh, determine that the tenant can be legally removed or evicted from the residence. Okay, and it, are there other definitions that y'all use in the lab? And I know we're going to get to the lab and we're going to explain the lab in a minute, but... Right. Sure. I mean, so we really, we think about it slightly broader in this kind of understanding of forced moves because we know that ultimately why we care is that there's people are getting kicked out of their homes, right? There's sort of an instability that's happening in terms of families and children, right? So that's kind of why we think about it. And so we think about it more broadly in terms of forced moves. So um, that could be um, an informal eviction. So a landlord tells you you're out and doesn't give you a legal notice, but you're like, well, I got to go because my landlord told me to go. Um, or um, a landlord sort of um, intentionally raising the rent and, and making it so that you can't stay. Um, and so we think about these kind of broader forced moves um, that are a form of eviction, but don't go through the legal process. And we know that in the city of uh, Richmond, um, we, we've they, the point in time count for homelessness found that uh, a quarter of those who had been who were, had been homeless in the past year had been evicted. Uh, from their homes. And of those, 35% uh, did not go through a legal process. And so it's really important to think more broadly about eviction than just the legal process, or otherwise you're really hitting a very narrow subset of people who are being uh, forcibly removed from their homes. So this is as much a social problem as it is a financial problem in the sense that they're being, they're being evicted in some ways through pressure, not through f money. Right. This, the landlord wants something. They, they want the property for some reason or they want to do something with it that, that's not allowing those people to stay. Right. I, I think that when you look at the eviction cases that go through that legal process, the vast majority of them are for non-payment of rent. So it does appear, again, that those the, the, the eviction cases that are part of the legal process are mostly about people not paying rent. But even within those situations, 
there's lots of different factors that would lead to someone not being able to make a rent payment that are budgetary financial at the level of personal or household finances, but we know that um, those household finances sit in a much broader context of housing affordability, of uh, jobs and, and the quality of jobs, um, neighborhood housing conditions. And so what appears to be you know, primarily kind of this budgetary financial problem really opens up a much broader set of issues in housing and uh, related areas. Why did you start the eviction lab? So now we can cover that part. And, you know, so why do you want to study this? And, and what's the web address? Because I'm sure people will want to look it up. <laughs> sure. Uh, the web address is the harder question, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh should they just use the Google? Yeah, the, I mean, I think the Googles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Google so eviction, lab. eviction Lab? Yeah, RVA, yeah. Eviction, RVA. RVA Eviction okay. Lab. So we really started the RVA Eviction Lab. Uh, in response to a uh, news pick that came out about a year ago, a year and a half now, I guess April uh, of last year, um, that told us that Richmond was the second highest evicting city in the country uh, and um, that five of the top 10 highest evicting um, cities in the country were in Virginia. And what I keep telling people is that's not a top 10 list you really want to be on, right? Like, it's just not uh, like, oh, hey, we were the top 10 coolest cities to live in or greatest places for millennials. The tattoos. Right, the, like, yeah, yeah this is this, like, we've got so many great things. Like, this is not the one we wanted to no. be on. And, and so um, one of the things that started to happen uh, was that advocates were looking around. And let me just tell you, advocates, people who are working with tenants, this was not a surprise to them. You know, t attorneys were like, yeah, we know this. I'm so happy that finally we have some attention to this. This was not a surprise. Um, and so they organized um, a group called the Campaign to Reduce Evictions. And we were helping them, uh, along with uh, folks from other organizations in the city, to kind of develop research uh, and, and data around this issue. And we did what we like to call like sort of a data barn raising. Sort of all of us said, okay, I've got a map, I've got a chart, I'll, I'll analyze this data. And we all sort of came together and would create a PowerPoint that somebody would present. Um, and Ben and I very quickly realized, and actually Ben made the suggestion, um, that this wasn't sustainable. There was no way we were ultimately going to be able to um, keep kind of ad hoc putting things together to really help to create data-driven policy. Um, and, and so we said, okay, let's, let's figure out how to actually get data out there. Uh, and so uh, we really started studying it from that perspective um, and with this understanding, as Ben was talking about, that um, eviction is complex. You can say, well, they didn't pay rent. Well, why didn't they pay rent? Okay, so you can kind of go into the, these issues that like people are paying too much of their income for rent. So if you're paying half of your income for rent, that leaves, even in the best budgeting situation, if you are a killer budgeter, it means that if your car breaks down, your budget is trash, right? You, get, you have to buy new tires, you're done. Uh, you get a medical bill, you're done. It takes one bad day to put you in an eviction space, right? And, um, and so we, we sort of realized that we've got to start to think about this differently and understand the causes, right? So understanding this background piece, which we've really done um, a lot of work on, but also think about the impacts, that it's not just one family and their housing instability, which is enormous, right? We know that if you're moving around schools all the time, we know that if you're living in your car or in homelessness, if you're switching homes or living in poor quality homes, because if you get evicted, by the way, it stays on your record for years. So then you can't, you can't rent the next place or the next place that you rent is poor quality because you go to the landlord who won't uh, refuse you, right? And so that landlord is less choosy and chances are has poor quality housing or poor quality neighborhoods. Uh, and so, um, 
we needed to then understand the impact. So that's like the individual household. But then you look at neighborhoods that have eviction rates in the 30 percent range. And you think about how, what does that mean for neighborhood turnover? You know, we talk a lot about neighborhood stability and, and, and people engaging in their communities. How do you engage in your community? How do you care about your community if you're just trying to stay in your house? or if you're turning over every year, right? And so we talk about that kind of um, community level stability issue. Uh, and then of course that has ripple effects for the entire city. Um, and so um, you know, we thought, look, we've got to figure out how to kind of get at these various issues uh, with the eviction lab. And so we've been working on that from a couple different directions, uh, which we can talk about more uh, later on. Uh, but that was a big piece. Well, I'm curious to know how this impacts VCU students specifically, because we, we hear of these stories all the time of VCU students being housing unstable. Mm -hmm. So do you have data on that with the lab? I think it's uh, an important question about kind of, you know, a broader question about, um, you know, students and stability, not just in housing, right? I mean, we understand the impacts of student debt. Food and insecurity. Um, exactly, exactly. So I think putting the eviction question in that uh, realm in terms of students and their just, you know, instability across multiple areas. Um, the, the data that we have looked at in terms of um, students and eviction, there, there are higher eviction rates immediately around um, kind of in the university, in, at least in the Monroe Park um, area, campus area. And we haven't dug into that, but it does suggest that students do experience um, at least high rent burdens, which means that they actually pay a lot of their income uh, for rent, which means that again that there's left left over uh, less left over for food and and books and that sort of thing. Um, there's actually not as much instability, not as much eviction as you might think based on how much they're paying for rent. And we kind of hypothesize that some students uh, may be able to rely on family, but for those who cannot, that's a serious uh, problem as well. And we and we also know that. Um, you know, our students are coming from a lot of different places, and we've talked to students over the past couple of years um, right. as we've been thinking about this issue. And they're like, yeah, no, my family was evicted. We were we experienced homelessness. And so I think mm -hmm. that the range of VCU student experiences is really broad. And, and this this issue, um, when we talk to students about it in our classes, when we were first starting this, actually, uh, we had students who I had students multiple come up to me and they said, I want to be part of this because I experienced these issues. I'm still housing unstable now at VCU. I spent a semester living in my car or I, as a child, I, I moved schools six times in high school. Um, and so this is not something that is unknown to VCU students. Um, and so I think that that's what's so exciting about having this as the common book, to be honest, is that it's not just that this is our community, right? And that's and VCU is part of the Richmond community, part of the Virginia community, but this is also part of our student community. And so I think that's what's – I hope that this is a – there's an opportunity to really bring to light um, the diverse experiences of VCU students and, and the fact that, you know, we know that students are relying on the food, the ram pantry. We know that students are uh, relying on short-term assistance. And, um, and I think that this is just another piece of the experience that we can really bring to light about VCU students um, and, 
and and hope that they bring it into the classroom, to be totally honest. I think there's nothing better for me as a professor than when a student is able to say, no, I've experienced this. I know this. And, and that's that's a brave thing to do. I don't I don't expect everyone to do it. But to be able to bring that into their writing and into their work, I, I think, is so powerful. Thank you so much. Um, unfortunately, Donna has to go because as the engagement librarian, she's off engaging people. Um, <laughs> not to get married. Although but I've been engaging to. you all. This has been but, very engaging. Um, so thank you thank for you. letting me be part thank of this process. Thank you so process. much. Will y'all stay and answer a few more questions for me? Sure. Yes. sure. We, don't, we don't have to engage with anybody right now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Donna. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.